What is the study and application of human factors for accident investigations? Let's go to the bench. Legal news, information, and interviews from Collins and Lacey, a leading South Carolina defense firm for construction, workers' comp, hospitality, retail, trucking, professional liability, mediation, government, and ethics matters. The views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect that of Collins and Lacey, its management, or employees. This is The Legal Bench. And welcome to The Legal Bench. I'm Michael Burney, Director of Business Development for Collins & Lacey Law Firm in Columbia, South Carolina. What is the practice of human factor investigation, and how does it apply in particular when a truck is involved in an accident? Joining me is Collins & Lacey shareholder Claude Prevost and chair of our Trucking and Transportation Practice Group, and he has a special guest. Thanks, Michael. With us this morning is Dr. Nancy Grugel. Dr. Grugel is a human factors expert at Exigent Group. Her levels of expertise and specialization include fatigue, sleep deprivation, drowsy driving, as well as distracted driving, looming visibility, and driver behavior. Dr. Grugel has conducted hundreds of investigations on cases involving these issues, specifically with transportation, safety, autonomous vehicles, and work safety zones. Dr. Google conducts investigations for both plaintiff firms and defense firms and has testified for both parties in both state and federal courts. Dr. Google, thank you so much for joining us. To start it off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what kind of doctor you are, and what is the study of human factors? Sure. Thank you very much for having me on this morning. Uh, so my background is in industrial engineering. I have a bachelor of science, master of science, and a PhD in industrial engineering. Human factors is a subdiscipline or a specialty area within industrial engineering. It's also within the field of psychology. So about half of the field is uh, psychologists and the other half would be industrial engineers, but we're both studying human factors. So human factors can really simply be defined as the study of how people interact with technology and their environment. And you've done investigations and provided opinions about human factors and how they relate to the trucking industry, transportation, and how drivers interact with their vehicles, whether it's a passenger vehicle or a commercial vehicle. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about human factors in the transportation realm? Yes. So human factors experts in the field of human factors um, apply to transportation and also trucking in that we are investigating issues related to either driver actions or driver behavior, their capabilities, their limitations, And so the science behind human factors, behind driver actions, also applies to people who happen to be driving trucks. So when a human factors expert is investigating a transportation issue, we're coming at it from a scientific perspective as it relates to issues like visibility. What could the driver see? Conspicuity. Was there anything in the environment that attracted their attention? You know, what is a reasonable perception reaction time for someone under the circumstances. And then some specific issues that we're looking at would be, for example, distracted driving or drowsy driving and fatigue, and then also looming, um, which comes up in a lot of trucking-related cases that I work on. 
you know, this COVID pandemic has given rise to a recent relaxation of you know, driving hour requirements. Could you help us understand how a driver can be compliant with the current allowed hours of service and be fatigued? And in, on another hand, how a driver can be non-compliant with the regs with a cap on hours of service, but yet not be fatigued. Sure. So just to kind of explain um, how the science of fatigue relates to hours of service regulations, the goal of hours of service regulations is to minimize or to reduce fatigue. But the reality is that a driver who's compliant with those hours of service regulations can be fatigued and a driver who's in violation of hours of service regulations may not be fatigued. So there is a difference between the science of fatigue and sleep deprivation versus compliance with hours of service regulations. So as an example, uh, let's talk about a driver who a driver, excuse me, who is compliant with our service regulations, but may be fatigued. So if a driver is logged into the sleeper for, let's say, 10 hours, they could be playing video games for eight of those 10 hours and not getting adequate restorative sleep. So if they're only getting two hours of sleep a night, they can be in compliance with their hours of service regulations, but be fatigued due to their own actions. But there are also situations where the schedule itself is what is driving fatigue or sleep deprivation. So for example, a driver who is working overnight shifts or irregular shifts where the body cannot adapt their circadian rhythm to this driving schedule, that can cause chronic sleep deprivation even if they are compliant with our service regulations. And then Conversely, so let's talk about a driver who's not compliant with hours of service regulations, but not necessarily fatigued. So an example would be a driver who drives eight hours a day for 10 consecutive straight days with no break. But if they're driving during the daytime hours and they're still getting seven to nine hours of restorative sleep in the overnight hours, they are not likely to be fatigued, barring other circumstances. So that's an example of someone who wouldn't be compliant with our service regulations, but they wouldn't necessarily be fatigued or sleep deprived just because of that noncompliance. That was a fantastic explanation. You've mentioned uh, just now about sleep cycles and restorative sleep, and you referenced, you know, commercial drivers. Is it also, you know, safe, reasonable, and ordinary for, you know, regular folks, you know, in passenger vehicles to get that, to need that same type of restorative sleep and have proper sleep cycles? Absolutely. Everybody needs adequate restorative sleep in order to prevent fatigue or chronic sleep deprivation. There is a very common misperception that people can get three, four, five hours of sleep a night for years on end and not suffer performance consequences. And the reality is that they do and they will. Changing gears a little bit, uh, Dr. Grugel, could you tell our listeners what the term looming means in the human factors context and in the transportation context? Looming, L-O-O-M-I-N-G, 
applies mostly to rear-end collisions that involve a slow-moving or a stopped vehicle on the roadway that gets rear-ended by a vehicle coming up from behind. And so looming refers to the ability of a driver to perceive their rate of closure to that slow-moving or that stopped vehicle, or in other words, their ability to tell how fast that lead vehicle is moving, if it's moving at all. And so people know that they're getting closer to a vehicle. Everybody knows that, but they can't tell how quickly they're getting closer or how quickly they're closing or how fast that vehicle is moving or if it's stopped until they get to a certain distance away. They're just not capable of making that determination. And that point is called the point of looming detection. And so in looming cases, what we're doing is determining what is that point of looming detection and then also analyzing if a driver perceived and responded to that looming cue in a reasonable amount of time. Often incidents on roadways involve distracted drivers and they can be a commercial driver that's distracted or a regular everyday person that's distracted. Can you tell us what data is meaningful for you and your analysis of whether or not any driver is distracted? What are you looking for? And what are some things that typically distract drivers on the roadway? Yes. So to before I answer those questions, um, I just want to explain that distracted driving is a specific type of inattentive driving. And there are a multitude of definitions of what constitutes distracted driving, but it is simply a specific form of inattention. And so when it comes to investigating distracted driving specifically, the one of the most important pieces of information that I need is evidence that a driver has engaged in a distracting activity at the time of the collision or in the seconds leading up to the collision. So we can get that data via testimony from the driver, and I can also rely on a cell phone or a device expert to perform an analysis of whether or not the driver was engaged in some kind of distracting activity at the time of the collision. And then the second piece of information is data or evidence that the driver was distracted in a manner that was a cause of the collision. So for example, increased perception reaction time beyond that of what we would expect of a reasonably attentive driver under the circumstances, or a failure to see a readily detectable vehicle or pedestrian or a traffic signal. Generally, Dr. Grugel, what what are some just basic examples of things that can distract drivers? Obviously, we all know a cell phone is a typical way that someone's texting or or calling or talking, but what are some other things in a vehicle that can that can pull a driver's attention off the roadway? So there's technology that is in the vehicle, and then there's technology that people bring into the vehicle with them. And a cell phone is an example of technology that can be distracting that someone brings in with them. There can be infotainment systems that have uh, features that are distracting if someone is interacting with that infotainment system while they're driving. GPS is another example, although it's a unique example in that depending on how a driver is interacting with the GPS system, it can actually be safer 
than being lost. So there are some nuances in how interacting with these different types of technologies affects driver performance. Um, A common distraction that people don't think of that isn't even technology related is having children in the back seat. And there is research that simply having children in the back seat can be 12 times more distracting than talking on a cell phone when you're driving. What about you know eating or a pet or uh, having a conversation with the person next to you? Can, can that lead to distracted driving? So absolutely eating can, uh, having a pet in the car can. Now what's interesting is that there's actually research and data that shows that having a conversation with the person in the seat next to you is not as distracting as, for example, having a cell phone conversation with someone who's not inside the vehicle with you. And the theory is that drivers who are talking to a passenger, that passenger in the vehicle is actually giving cues about the driving environment to the driver that can aid driver performance. So for example, if a driver is coming up on stopped traffic or some kind of a complex traffic situation, that passenger is actually giving cues to the driver. Like for example, they might stop talking when they get into a complex environment. They might point out, hey, there's a pedestrian on the side of the road. And so having a passenger can actually be helpful. Dr. Grugel, thank you so much for your time this morning. And again, you're with Exigent Group, and if folks wanted to get a hold of you to you know, talk to you about your expertise, what would be a good way of doing that? Uh, probably the easiest way would be to go to the Exigent Group website, which is exigent-group.com. Um, my bio is on the website and also my contact information. Dr. Grugel, again, thank you so much, and we hope you have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. And for more legal news of interest to South Carolina, join us right here for the next episode of The Legal Bench. You've been listening to The Legal Bench from the South Carolina defense firm, Collins & Lacey. Learn more at collinsandlacey.com.